those squares. Forum. We are happy to have you all on board. This evening, we have three dynamic speakers who will be joining us to educate us, empower us, and to share some of their knowledge with parents, teachers, and the other stakeholders who will be joining us shortly. As we know, it's Friday evening, so persons are currently on their way home, but we're sure to have a good time with all the speakers. And I'm sure that most of you are familiar with the faces that we will be having this evening. We will be hearing from Mrs. Elaine Foster Allen, and uh, she's a force to be reckoned with. I'm sure that um, the short guides who are joined, or who promised to join us this evening, will be happy to see her again as the former principal of Shorted Teachers College. And uh, we will be hearing from uh, Ms. Dorit Campbell and also our final speaker, Kelly Magnus, is an expert in the field of literacy. Let me now use this opportunity to welcome Ms. Stacy, Ms. Stacy Ann Brown, who will be introducing our first speaker, Ms. Dane Foster Allen. We're trying to be on time and we're trying to see how best we can move with the flow. Um, on the time that we have. Ms. Stacy, are you there? I'm here. Thank you. Hello everyone. As Santana said, my name is um, Stacy Ann Brown and I'm proud to introduce our first guest speaker for today, Ms. Elaine Foster Allen. Elaine Foster Allen holds a Master of Philosophy in Theology and a Bachelor of Education from the universities of Birmingham and Nottingham, respectively. Mrs. Foster Allen is a teacher and public service administrator who retired from the civil service in December 2016. She has served as permanent secretary in the ministries of health, office of the prime minister and education. Prior to serving in the civil service, she worked for 10 years as principal of Shortwood Teachers College. Elaine Foster Allen was the first chief inspector of education for Jamaica. She has worked as an education officer with the Ministry of Education, Youth and Culture and served as the principal of a local high school. Between 2000 and 2002, she worked as an education consultant on school improvement planning and environmental education. She worked for 17 years in the UK as a classroom teacher, head of department, senior teacher, deputy head teacher, and head teacher, as well as inspector attached to her Majesty, Majesty's 
Inspectorate. Elaine chairs the National Education Board of the New Testament Church of God and is a member of the board of Bethel Campbell Bethel Bible College. She served on the Task Force for Education Transformation in 2004 and has served as the chair of the People's National Party National Commission on Education and Training Reimagined. She currently serves as a member of the National Council for Education. Mrs. Foster Allen is a member of the National Review Committee for the National Standard Curriculum and the Primary Exit Profile, as well as a member of the Steering Committee for the National School Leading Certificate of the Ministry of Education, Youth and Information. Mrs. Foster Allen has served on various national and international bodies. She was a commissioner of the Broadcasting Commission, Jamaica, and has served on bodies such as the Management Institute of National Development, MIND, Jamaica Social Investment Fund, JSIF, Petro Carib Fund, the National Gallery, Joint Board of Teacher Education, University Council of Jamaica, member and chair of UNESCO International Institute for Higher Education for Latin America and the Caribbean, and chaired two school boards. Elaine is a member of the Church and Pastors Council of her local church, Sterling Castle New Testament Church of God, where she is responsible for Christian education and discipleship. She enjoys reading, gardening, interior decorating, politics, and thinking. She is a published writer on education, gender, and religion. Married to Trevor, she has a daughter and a niece that have made up her immediate family, and she enjoys a close-knit relationship with her siblings. Please help me welcome Ms. Mrs. Elaine Foster Allen. Thank you very much, Stacy. Um, I hope my internet will behave itself. Sometimes it's a little unstable. Um, a good afternoon to all the participants. It's a real pleasure to be here um, on this in this um, forum. I am going to go straight ahead and do my presentation. I am going to share my screen um, and talk through this presentation this afternoon. I hope you will find it um, helpful and inspiring um, and uh, that it will call you and I, some of us to further action and uh, some of us to new action. So the issue of the topic that I'm dwelling on this afternoon is increasing equity and opportunity for all learners. Um, I think this topic requires that we take a little look at it, ventilate it a little bit to ensure that we understand um, what we're talking about. Um, I think it suggests that there may be a problem, right, with equity among our learners um, and for learners, I would say 
add system, the education system, um, which includes uh, schools, the resources that we we um, we meet out, we we deploy, uh, amongst other things. So, if so, what do we mean by equity in relation to our learners? Just give me a moment. All right, let's move that over. Thank you. So let's let's just think about what we're faced with in in Jamaica. Certainly, we have um, a system called PATH. Um, it, it's a system that is supposed to support uh, people in need. It's it's a, a cash grant system. And it has a number of persons, 350,000 beneficiaries at the moment, um, including um, adults and, um, and children. All right. You are going to have to quickly add my person so that I can move a little quicker on my slides. Are you hearing me? Yes. Okay. So at August 2019, there was a total of 162,000 children on path. Um, right now, in regard to land ownership and land title, there are 340,000 people in Jamaica who do not own a land title. Now, this is very important for us to understand that inequities and injustices do not begin in schools. We have a, a total interrelated, interconnecting system that uh, creates inequities, all right? There are 31,400 households in squatter and informal units. What would, what would that mean for the education system? What does that mean for all Jamaicans? Um, if you are living in, an, in a squatter and an informal unit um, on land that doesn't belong to you, you are open to all sorts of problems. Um, you may not, you might end up having to in inverted commas, steel, electricity, steel, water. Um, the owner, in inverted commas again, could come at any time and bulldoze your you are, your your property, um, and you know, make you more homeless than you you are. So I think in regard to just understanding the issue of inequity, um, you have to understand the huge context that we're working um, with. In a, in a paper, in a, it was a, an article of last year, I think it was August last year, Andre Horton, Dr. Andre Horton, uh, penned an article called Decrease in Unemployment, Increase in Underemployment. The good news, um, Sorry, this was the beginning of this, this year. The good news was that Jamaica's unemployment rate had fallen to 7.2% at the end of 2019. 
and that was a significant decline and that was great because it was coming from 12.7% in 2017 and um, so it was reduced by a significant um, percentage, 5.5 percentage points. All right. So if these, however, however, the article goes on to say that underemployment is, um, is, is significant. Uh, what is underemployment? Underemployment, uh, underemployment is where people are employed in jobs for which they are overqualified. So for example, we have a number of persons who were and still are employed in the BPO sector. Um, these, some of them are university students um, who should be earning more than the, in some cases it's $40,000 a month that they're earning. Some are earning a little more than that. So their skills are not being appropriately um, deployed. So in effect, they're underemployed, all right? So how should we respond to this system? We have to, first of all, let's understand that you have the macro level system at the public, uh, the public macro level system, right? So let's, let's just look at those. I, I believe that we need to ensure that policy and systems are conceptualized at the level of the government of Jamaica ministries premised on the principle of equality, okay? So you can't just begin to talk about equality in a, a school, a local school, well, you could, but, you know, it, it, it might be significant to start there, but it would, it would be more powerful and maybe enduring if we ensure that at the level of government, of ministries and so on, whatever policies they have in place or they're thinking putting in place and systems, they're premised on the principle of equality and some would add justice. We should also therefore ensure that the systems, the procedures and processes are in place again, based on equality of opportunity so that when it comes to the uh, distribution of resources, the, the principle of equality is applied, okay? Um, we should also, the, if we start at the policy level and we work down, then we are also ensuring that services are accessible by all, and again, that these are offered on the principle of equity. Um, so what would this mean? It would mean it would mean that policy and systems again. <clears throat> excuse me, I'm just going over the point I made a little earlier, just to make sure that everybody understands how I'm moving it. Ensure that policy and, and systems are conceptualized at the level of the government and premised on the principle of equity or equality. So it would mean that when, when policymakers, lawmakers sit down um, to, 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 to write their policies and make their statements and put their systems in place, there is a central and compelling vision of equality and uh, an equal and a just society or a fairer and a more just society. 
this policy would then be enunciated, this vision rather would be enunciated in the policy at the government level, at the very highest level where, you know, cabinet and members of the cabinet and the, in the parliament and in the ministries and so on. You would then support your vision and your policy by the way in which you allocate budgets. So each ministry would then take account of the principles of equality and justice and in, in how they then distribute to schools and other institutions, the same principle would be applied. Is this fair? Is this just? Is this equal? Does this cause the system to be more equitable? So I, I am digging down a little bit more now. Some schools may need more and they could get more resources. And that is what equity is about. It is, it's, yes, it's about leveling the playing field, but some schools will start at a different, a higher level or a different level or a different part of the continuum than the others. So if you decide, if, if we decide that our standard, let's say, is five CSEC at the secondary level at when children are exiting grade 11, but we already have schools where it's, you know, 90%, 95%, 98% of the children are getting those five um, subjects. How do we then ensure that the schools that are getting 10 and 9 and 15 and 20% have the resources and the capacity to ensure that they can move up over time to get the 90 and the, the, the 80s and the 90s and, and so on? Percent of, percentage of children who are leaving school with whatever the standard is we've used. I've seen that does not necessarily have to be the standard that we use, but that's what we're at now. Maybe we need to review up or down or broaden the standard, but make sure that all our children um, have the access and the opportunity to do well wherever they're placed in whichever school. So allocations, if we're going for an, an equitable and just society, whatever the allocations are to bring our students up and our schools up to the, the standard, it should not be stigmatized. And this is where I had, I had and I continue to have some problems with how some schools, for example, maybe even the Ministry of Labor and Social Security and Ministry of Education conceptualized path. In some schools, children were stigmatized because of the color of the tickets. They got path tickets. Um, the quality of the resources are different because, you know, children are, are poor and needy and they, they help them out. It cannot be, that does not, that does not uh, confront and challenge and change um, a system that is inequitable. So our equitable distribution might mean more per capita spend on each child in terms of curriculum resources, staffing, infrastructure, food. It could mean that other resources, for example, reading books, fiction and non-fiction materials are made more available through the Jamaica Library Service. For example, we've, we know that over many years, 
um, the, the service has not been adequately funded at all in regard to some, you know, reading materials and resources. Um, what of reading book loan system? In primary schools, for example, um, children do not have access to fiction. So, you know, a, an association like yours, for example, could be advocating for children to have reading books, um, huge stocks, because we know that the richer um, the, the classroom environment is with text, the text of all sorts, the more it is that we're going to enable our children to come up to the standard of, of language acquisition and, and, and um, use. So uh, equitable distribution might also mean Sorry, as I said, I know, um, let me just, okay, go down to the last point I was making. Um, in, in terms of early childhood, I want to just tell, talk a little bit about early childhood and primary schools. In the early childhood sector, I have been saying that a group of us, you know, have been, uh, several of us have been advocating for us to put more resources in the early childhood sector because um, if, you, if you start out the children right, right, early stimulation, uh, lots and lots more resources for children um, so that, you know, you, there is not this huge disparity between the haves and the have-nots. Um, that's how you, you, you work it through. Quality school leaders, if you have um, equitable distribution, it's across everything that we do. So if you have quality school leaders in all our schools who understand what is meant by um, a just and, and fair and equitable system and they work on those principles, then we could transform our schools. Quality teaching and learning experiences across grades and departments and across schools. I remember going to visit a, several schools, secondary schools, and I was talking to some shortwood adults, and I said, look here, and in fact, just teachers, but in particular shortwood adults, you cannot tell me that because you are in a, a, a sort of upgraded secondary school, um, that your performance is going to be less than that. It could be or should be were you in a traditional high school. The same level of scholarship, enthusiasm, uh, working with the children that you give in a school called Campion or, que or Queens or St. Andrews must be the same level that you give to any school, any rural school, any inner city school, it matters not. As a teacher, and as a principal, I worked in inner city schools in the UK. And I can remember um, a group of, I took over a department for religious education. And, you know, I got there in, in January and the kids were clearly underperforming. And I just said to them, look here, I'm not here to joke with you. I want to justify every penny of my salary because I know what your parents have been through to get you into school. They've had to suffer um, discrimination. People spit at them, people talk down at them. I'm not here to joke. It mattered not to me that the school was inner city. 
what mattered to me was that I had children in front of me who had the potential, who were not any less able. They weren't less able than anybody else. They just needed a different type of teaching, a different type of commitment. They needed teachers who understood that they could make a difference, right? So, you know, I'm, I may be speaking to teachers, I may be speak, speaking to parents. We have to, as a, as a nation, decide that all our children have the, the, the potential to do much better than they're doing now. And on the basis of that, we build our school experiences, our learning experiences. We have to ensure that learning is differentiated. Children learn at different pace. They learn in different ways. How do we incorporate different learning strategies to ensure that the learning experience becomes equitable in and of itself? Uh, we need quality in different infrastructure. A child um, is, is blind uh, or um, has uh, physical disabilities. Does it mean that we should just put that child aside and say, well, is the child blind and we can't bother with them and, and they can't go up steps so we can't bother with them? No. With, when I think about um, people, our schools, if we're talking about equitable systems and giving children the opportunity to, to do well in, in, those, in our schools and the education system, it covers every child. It covers all sorts of needs, special needs, you know, I know that I'm, I'm out of the system now and I, I've had time to reflect a lot more and I recognize that we have clearly not done as much as we should do or could do. And I'm going to make a point that in more recent times, when the repayment of debt, um, which is, I think it was at 7% of GDP, um, it, it, it's not some, it, it was 70%, sorry, 7% um, interest rate, and it went down to 6.5%. Now, 0.05% is a lot of money that we have had in the system for nearly two years. How have we spent it in education? Question. Um, so, Right, let me just talk a little bit about um, some of the other things that we could do. More parenting centers based in schools and communities and a clear link um, between um, places like, like health centers operating um, early childhood stimulation, community help aids needed to, to bridge the gap between middle class and needy at the very earliest in the child's experiences. Um, one researcher says, children may go from a home with limited physical and psychological resources for learning and language to a school with similar constraints, resulting in a double dose of disadvantage. Now that is our reality. So um, the, if, our, if the public system is poor, in inverted commas, and there are challenges within the home, how do we get our children 
out of that system. Those of us who can ought to be advocating and doing all sorts of things to ensure that there's change. Um, research also shows, and the, the, um, the references at the bottom of the screen there, research shows that children's academic achievement is predicted not only by their family's socioeconomic status, but also by the socioeconomic status of their school. And therefore, it is important for us to, make, to cut out this education apartheid system and bring up this school to a, a point where all children feel that this is a great place to be. I have worked in inner city schools. I have visited inner city schools in, in the US, in the UK, um, in Canada, and it's clear, and it may not be current, my information may not be current, but certainly when I visited, I saw effort to make schools, inner city schools, serving working class communities, a place, schools, the place where children felt that their educational needs were being met in an environment that was enriching, in an environment that challenged them to learn, that um, created this idea in them that they were special. Some of our schools make our children, just the infrastructure, just looking at it, just looking at the school, make the children then feel like they belong our school. And it is not just for the children, it is also for the teachers. Pop down, brought down. We, can do, we need to do better for our children. Now, let me just skip over this particular slide. Um, I'm going to go to the private sector because there's like a tripartite system. The public sector, the private sector, and the whole. Recognizing, we must recognize that resources are distributed on the basis of affordability. So I can buy X, so I can buy that, and I through what I can afford, I have status, I have clout, and so on and so forth. So unless there is a government framework, for example, a license that allows for equitable provision of services that um, are needed, um, and it's you know it may be that you have a system. Uh, let's take for I'm, I'm using the internet service provision, for example. If government doesn't say, you have to ensure that all households in this area for which you have a license have access, right? Um, and that it is affordable because they look at the demographics and they say, in this area, um, this is what you're going to need to put in. And your license is premised on this. I, I once sat on the Broadcasting Commission. So, you know, this idea of trying to sort of level the playing field a little bit through policies and policy framework um, is not an impossibility. Um, so, you know, can we have a system in place that is affordable to the least the person who is least able to pay. 
maybe a subsidy to improve access and improving access points across the country. If you know that you have um, um, informal communities, um, then maybe that's where, and I'm not that I'm saying informal communities ought to continue to exist because I really do think that more needs to be done to formalize informal communities on proper land and give them proper space and not on river banks and, and gully banks and so on. Um, give our people that dignity. Um, and remember, equalizing opportunities and an equitable a policy that speaks to justice and equity is about giving people um, dignity. Um, so in the family, let's take it to the family. Now, when you think about some families, how do they interpret this idea of equity when, and fairness? It might be difficult to achieve because there are some things that can be equitably distributed, right? You can distribute your love, you can distribute your care, you can distribute even food. I came from a relatively, a working class family. And I can recall living in England with my five other siblings when times were hard. And I, rem I remember that my mom, you know, she cooked and put everything on the table and everybody, all the children and got their bits. And I thought, no, because my mother's plate was empty. And I remember saying to my, my siblings, let's all give mommy a little piece of our own food so that she could have something to eat. Daddy's plate wasn't touched because he was not at home from work. And by the way, it's important that you sit at any table, even if it is on the ground, we need to encourage our, our parents, moms and dads to sit with their children and just show them some love and show that they care at lunchtime, dinner time, anytime you can eat together, right? So I, I go off a little bit. The principle might be in place and acted upon, but still some families um, are moving from a base of scarcity of some resources. Um, and again, in some families, poverty is intergenerational and you need to work, the, whatever systems we have in place, need to work for the decreasing of intergenerational poverty. So you can't have great-grandparents poor, grandparents poor, parents poor, and then the children poor. It does not, it, it doesn't work in any society. In fact, as I have read up on different, um, different uh, societies that are more equitable, it actually says where societies have the social infrastructure to ensure that it, the society becomes more equitable. It's more peaceful, less crime, less violence, and less abuse, all of those things. So it, it, it's not that it is an impossible vision. It's just that we have to have the wherewithal to, to do what is, is necessary. Um, now, I was looking at the path um, thing a little earlier. I think I had that slide up. And it was so funny because I realized that, um, that even path itself has some inequities built into it. 
um, there's more for girls, sorry, for boys than for girls. And I just wondered why. I mean, it's not a lot of money, but if it, uh, I'm wondering, is it because it's um, a more equitable thing to do to give boys more than girls? Or is it because we feel that boys just need, need more? What is the principle there? Um, there are also needy persons who do not and have not benefited from power. For example, those who are temporarily unemployed, seasonal workers, not sure, I'm not sure of the numbers, but I do know that those persons are in the system. And those children also suffer um, from time to time the, the inequities that are meted out to them. So these are the people who do not necessarily qualify for the benefits, right? So COVID has exacerbated and highlighted the inequalities. So for example, resources were, were question mark, resources available in family, families, from cell phones to Wi-Fi to credit to cognition to emotional resources and capacity. What we saw and what we're seeing is that there is an inequity built in to the family structure that has been has been um, highlighted and exacerbated because of COVID. Schools said we are going to send you, the ministry said we're going to send you all the resources so that you can have children online and so on. But the reality, I, spoke, I remember speaking to a, a, a year coordinator, um, a great coordinator, who said that of the 378 children that she had in her grade, um, when she spoke to the parents of those children, um, there were only two children who were accessing things by Wi-Fi and by, um, by the internet. So, you know, there, there are inequalities. Um, some of us might have laughed when we heard that poor mother saying she don't know what we do because the ministry, she's going down to the ministry because the schools send our, our children these things to do and she don't know what we do. It is a reality. I was so broken by that idea. And just that, just the parent voicing that, she, she don't know, she can't read, right? So that's what I mean by the intergenerational poverty. It comes in different forms. It may be intergeneration, intergenerational illiteracy um, that, that creates that problem. And some parents just don't have the psychological, the intellectual and the cognitive skills that are necessary to, to teach children. I am a trained teacher and I had a little youngster staying with me. And for when the school sent the stuff and they had Zoom and they had, um, edufocal and they had all sorts of things. I was like, this is a full-time job. You could not leave the child. I could not just leave the child to get on with it because that child needed some sort of facilitation and some support. And I thought to myself, if I'm struggling, how about other parents who don't have the, the resources and the capacity to do what I was trying to do? Um, so what, what, do, what can we do? A group such as this and the parents and teachers and community workers and persons who are just interested 
we can actually speak about advocating for change, advocating for a more just society, advocating for equity and, and equality of opportunities. We can support um, those who are advocating. We can support parents, we can support church groups, we can, we can write, we can um, support our children, we can speak up on behalf of our children. Go, go to Facebook, go to Twitter, go to um, TikTok, whatever it is you use, write to the papers, write your articles, do your blogging, and, and, and speak about the importance of ensuring that the system that we have in place and the resources that we distribute are more equitably distributed. Vote, I'll say no more. Empower yourselves and others. Now, I just want to share um, two last slides, and um, I didn't ask permission to share these two slides, but um, I just want to, to do so very quickly. There are um, I sit on the National Council for Education, and I actually drafted the resol a resolution that has been accepted. So please do not take these last two slides out of the, out of the presentation and, and share them. I'm just reading some ideas. I believe that we've come to the point where we need to review our philosophy and objectives for the education system to deliberately ensure that every effort is made to instill in our students a positive self-identity that counters the toxic effects of centuries of enslavement, colonization, and racism inherently associated herein. And also, we need to recognize the nexus between race and class, and the inequities that reside in them and the consequent impact of these on our students, including their stigmatization. I believe that it is, um, it's possible to, to actually deal with the issues of inequalities and injustices um, in some of the ways in which I have outlined, and we could get some different um, outcomes. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you, Mrs. Elaine Thomas. Pastor Allen.